20 years old, I found out I was pregnant. Those two pink lines devastated me. I knew I could survive the adventure of parenthood, but I didn't have a roadmap to help me thrive. Welcome to the Two Pink Lines podcast, a podcast addressing the questions of unplanned pregnancy. I want to share stories of women and men who've embraced the unplanned and found out that they can still hope, dream, and become a parent. Hi, I'm your host, Cheyenne Erickson. Join me as we embrace the unplanned. Hey guys, welcome back to Two Pink Line Pod. Today we get to hear from Emma. Now, Emma struggled with some mental health issues and then found out she had an unplanned pregnancy. On top of having an unplanned pregnancy, she found out that her daughter has what's called short gut syndrome. Rosie was born without her small intestine, and Emma shares her struggles on being a mom to a chronically ill child. Now, when we go into this episode, I do want to give you a few trigger warnings. First of all, we do talk about suicide in this episode. And second, we talk about health issues such as short gut syndrome. So if either of those things might bother you, this might be an episode to skip, but we hope you'll tune in next time. And I think you guys will enjoy this conversation with Frank, wonderful Emma. Hey, tell me a little bit about yourself and kind of who you are and what you do on a daily basis. Okay, so I am Emma Tappy. Um, didn't change my name after my marriage, but I will eventually probably. I was going to say, it's a big discussion. My sister-in-law is getting married this summer and we still, like, she's two months away and we're still like, will you change your name? We're not sure. Yeah, and it's such a hassle to do it too. Oh, believe me. Okay. So here's a story. Um, we got married when I was 20. I was three months away from turning 21, which is when you have to renew your license. In the middle of our move, I lost my social security card and then we moved to a different state. Um, so I had no way to identify myself for like a good two month period because I had changed my name. And it was just like, never had I thought such a big a hassle. Anyway, I'll let you talk about your story. <laughs> no, no worries. That was a great story. Um, yeah, like dealing with the government is one of the like hardest things, weirdly enough. Like we all hate the DMV and like I saw your um, post about like, your relationship with government benefits, and, like, I've had the exact same, so it's, it's hard. But, um, okay, okay, back to the actual topic. Uh, I'm Emma. I have only one kid. Her name's Rose. She was born 19 months ago, so basically a year and a half. I'm married to my husband, Hugo, and for right now, we're both just stay-at-home parents. We're supposed to have a nurse to come in and help us out is funded through a program from the government. Um, and that will enable us to go back to normal everyday life. But my daughter Rose has a condition known as short gut. Basically, it means she was born without intestines and is able for food. So she's actually fed intravenously 
through a line that goes into her heart. Wow. That is just so much for, I mean, I have a hard time keeping two kids that are perfectly healthy alive. That's so much for you and her, obviously. Um, With the COVID thing that we're going through right now, is she doing okay? Yeah, so thankfully, as I'm sure you know, the COVID is not affecting the kids as much. The main thing that we need to look out for is she has a permanent dressing on, a permanent wound dressing. Because the way her line goes in, she basically has a puncture wound to her heart in all times. So we have to keep that covered. The main fear is that me and Hugo would go outside, you know, go get groceries or something like that. And then would come back and, like, somehow get it in there. We're very, very, very careful about that, though. Uh, mainly because, so, Rose was in the hospital for the first two months she was born. We didn't actually get to take her home until two months after. Wow. And the nurses, like, trained us so hard on how to do uh, TPN, which is the stuff we put in her IV. And they were just, like, sanitize, 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 sanitize. Like, bleach is, like, the thing I go through the most in this house. Oh, wow. To make it as sanitary as possible. Wow. Okay. Well, here, let's back up a little bit. And let's talk about your pregnancy story, because that's also, I mean, Emma, you kind of have gone through a lot in the last few years. So tell me a little bit about how you were raised and then um, kind of what were your expectations for life? You know, I was raised uh, conservative and Christian and homeschooled, and my parents we always had like a plan for what life was going to be. And I always had this idea of who I was going to be. And like, as a kid, I was very successful and I was always like, you know, top of my class and like did the best in sports and all that. And then when I turned like 15 or 16, I like developed, not developed, my depression started like hitting me really, really hard, and suddenly I wasn't everybody that I thought I would be. Mm. And that was scary. Um, And it got to a point where, actually two weeks before I found out I was pregnant, I admitted myself into a psychiatric ward. Now, how old were you when that happened? I was 20. You had moved out and were in Illinois at the time? Yeah, I moved to Illinois because I wanted to buy a house. Uh, So we did that. um, And then only a year after I had moved to Illinois is when I was, well, when I admitted myself to the psychiatric unit. And, I mean, that's something very, very brave to do. Like, you were just in a place where you knew you needed that much help. Yeah, you know, I've... I had never, like, really considered suicide as an option. But the night that I went, it became something in my head that I was actively thinking about. And I never thought I'd be in that place. So I knew that I needed help. And I'm really glad that I went and got it. Mm. So you were in this place. um, I'm assuming you got some help and you were coming out of the ward and you found out you were pregnant. What did that do to you? Um, 
my first emotion was excitement because my boyfriend at the time, Hugo and I, had really, really wanted to have a kid. We just planned on it a year later. Mm-hmm. Within two or three days, though, it went to, like, primal fear. It was like, oh, my God, I just got out of a freaking suicide unit, like, and now I'm going to have to handle a kid. Wow. And that's when, like, uh, for me, I considered even putting her up for adoption. I basically told myself, Emma, you've got this nine months to get yourself from the point of I want to kill myself to... I am ready to be a mom for the rest of my life. And if you can't make it, you have to do what in my mind was ethically right and put her up for adoption. Wow. And, I mean, I hope you don't mind me saying this on the podcast, but you were adopted, right? Yes. Yes, I was. So that's, like, why it was my first thought. So you come from an adoption background. You come from... I'm assuming kind of a background where abortion wasn't considered uh, the correct choice. What made you, between the choices of keeping your baby, adoption, and abortion, like, what was your thought process through all of that? For me, personally, abortion was never an option, just because, like, it's something that I knew would cause me emotional harm Mm. and like I am pro-choice and I don't think that I have any right over what anybody else does with their body just personally for me it was something that I never considered an option and I think the reason for that was because despite my psychiatric unit story I've always really 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 appreciated the fact that I was given an opportunity in life by my birth mom. Mm. And I knew that I didn't want to take that opportunity away from my future child when it was something that I appreciated and loved so much. I mean, I really admire that because I can imagine the stress and I mean, I have never experienced a mental health challenge in that way, but I can only imagine the type of stress that brings about. Um, So, I mean, your thought process there is just so, um, I don't know. I, the word that's coming to mind is brave and I know I've already used that word and I wish I had a different one, but to me, it sounds really brave. Um, uh, you know, thank you for that. It it wasn't, I, I'm very much the person that like, if you give me a challenge, I will like get down and fight it. And so for me, like, it's almost more of, like, a tenacity. Okay. You give me something, I'll, I'll make it happen somehow. I mean, yeah, that definitely sounds just like you. <laughs> yep, stubbornest person alive, and I have a stubborn kid to prove it. Have you ever studied the Enneagram? I'm just going to throw this out there. Mm-hmm. Okay, are you an eight? Sorry, what? Have you ever studied the Enneagram? Yes. Yes, dude, I have. Um, I, like, I was the sucker that paid $20 for my whole test result. Are you an eight? I'm not. I'm actually a two. Okay. I mean, I can see that, too, but I would have guessed an eight with the how you just responded to that. 
Yeah, I, uh, one of the things that, like, okay, first off, now I'm really curious. Which number are you? Well, how about you guess? very intelligent very driven it seems you have two kids and a podcast I would go one I'm gonna guess one okay I have one envy and I actually talk on this on a different episode I totally want to be a one but I am a six oh really okay I don't know what a six is what does that what does that mean um their core fear is not trusting themselves and so they kind of run on a fear dialogue and have an inner committee always bringing about anxiety um but from that like sometimes just on like stereotypical enneagram things they're called the loyalist um so yeah that's a very poor explanation Um, but with two it basically means that like my inner monologue is sadness Mm -hmm. and like I think that's like just very true of like who I am as a person like inside I'll get and like this was like going back to our other conversation this was something that I struggled with in pregnancy is like in my head everything is like extremely negative Mm. and at that time all I could feel was like this like sadness and this hopelessness and this feeling of like I would never be good enough to receive this gift of a child and I think that my main struggle there was let me think for a second how to phrase this my main struggle was believing in myself enough that I would actually get up and do something about my situation. One of the hardest things for me is like internally, I can be a very depressing, pessimistic person. And that's not the way I present myself. Like I present myself as a very optimistic person. So that's something that actually took me a lot of work. And when I started working on it was when I found out I was pregnant. In my head, I can be very self-judging and very like, self-deprecating and I'll be like oh you're not worthy of having a kid or like there's no way you're gonna do this or like you're gonna flake out and Hugo's gonna be her primary parent and she's gonna hate you and stuff like that but the thing that I learned from my pregnancy or the thing that I challenged myself to throughout my pregnancy was no matter what my head was saying I had to get out and do the stuff that would improve my life Mm. And so that's what I set about to do. Wow. So what was like your next step to do that? One of my first steps was being able to like actually have a clean house. And that sounds like so minor. And thank God I did with her medical condition now. But like I used to be a mess. Like not quite hoarder level, but like closer to that than I would like to admit. Mm. Uh, and so a lot of it was like, okay, if you're going to be a mom, you've got to be a clean person. You have to be 
more reliable. You have to work on your relationship. He's a wonderful guy, and he stayed with me through, you know, this mental, like, episode that I was going through. But coming out of that and then two weeks later finding out we were pregnant, like, we had a lot of processing to do. And we had a lot of, like, ways of learning to communicate with each other that we had to do before we were able to, like, not before we were able, we were already pregnant, (laughs) before we should have a kid. I mean, back to the cleaning house thing, and, like, obviously another, like, major step from that is relationship building, but, like, a clean house is such an important thing because I was kind of just letting myself after I had um, my second, just let everything run down and letting dishes stack up and everything because I just didn't have the energy to handle it. And I realized if I got up, if I did the thing and I cleaned it, I was just so much happier on a daily basis. So to me, that makes perfect sense as a really practical first step. If you have a space that you could think in, then you can kind of move on to be like, all right, what else can I clean up in my life? Yeah, I think, like, having a physically clean space really, like, and, like, there are, like, okay, there are psychological studies that prove this, but, of course, I have no evidence of that right now because I can't remember them. Back to mom brain. Like, if you want to improve your mental health, the first thing that you should do is have a clean exterior. Mm -hmm. So, like, personal hygiene and, like, having a clean house are supposed to be things that improve your mental health condition. That's awesome. So you guys are pregnant. Um, What did that look like support-wise, insurance-wise? Did you struggle in those areas, or was that all figured out? It definitely wasn't. I thankfully have very supportive parents that I'm very close to. So that was awesome, but the problem was they lived in Denver and I lived here and I had like I I to an extent I still don't have like friends here or like a support system here like I did in Denver so that was one of the scariest parts is that we didn't have a support system Mm. um as for I'm sorry what was the other question you asked well yeah the support system and I didn't know how that played into insurance and obviously with um your daughter's health like um, medical bills have got to be a big part of your guys' life. Yeah, medical bills are a huge, 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 huge part of our life. I think um, we stopped counting, but um, we used to call Rosie the $16 million baby. Oh, my goodness. So here, I'm going to walk through and get a little bit better idea of your story. So you're in a suicide ward. You find out you're pregnant. You're like, okay, I'm going to get my life together. Um, you have your baby, like you have your baby and you find out about all these health conditions. What was that like for you? Terrifying. I mean, that is a really good one word explanation. (laughs) Yeah. I think that pretty much sums it up. Um, When 
the first thing you hear about your kid is that she might die. It's world shattering. Mm -hmm. Because you don't even know her yet. Mm -hmm. And then suddenly she might be taken away. And one of the like huge things that affected us like right after the birth is though I got to hold her for like five to 10 minutes, we didn't get to hold her again for 10 days. So there's a lot of terror surrounding like obviously the medical stuff and like death and all that. But personally, I was having problems connecting emotionally to her. Mm. And that was because I was afraid to fall in love with this beautiful, gorgeous little girl who is like fully mine just to lose her. Mm. Um, and I would say like those first two months where Rosie was in the hospital were kind of like just you had to react. Like you didn't have time to think about it you just had to like keep going. You had to sign surgery things. You had to see if she was on the ventilator. You had to see how they put in the heart tube. You had to learn how to work TPN. I had to learn how to do G tubes. I had to learn what all those things I just said actually meant. And one of the things I don't think, or at least I didn't think of before I had a medical child is even though the doctor gives you a 30 minute lecture on what your kid has, that doesn't mean you understand it. Mm -hmm. They use a lot of big fancy words. They're like, oh, well, she has short gut syndrome. What does that mean? And then how will it impact everything that happens from here on out? Like, yeah, yeah. Cause you start to spiral about the future. Like even if she doesn't die now, what's her life going to like, is she going to be able to go to college? Who's going to take care of her after I die? Like, all these things come up. And you just take down every question one by one. Yeah, it seems to be kind of a popular saying right now, even before the release of Frozen 2, doing the next right thing just kind of seems to be the mantra. Like... That's what you do. You know, I will admit, I have not watched Frozen 2. Emma, okay. Your daughter will love it. So, <laughs> have her watch Frozen. At least, well, now we're in the spiral of my daughter loves it so much that we watch it a lot. And then my son has just started talking and he goes, he sits on the couch when he knows we're going to watch a movie and he goes, Anna, Anna, Anna. And that's one of the character names, and that's what he wants to watch. So we're just anyway. I did watch Frozen One. Okay. Okay. See. I'm halfway there. <laughs> I just like have to actually suck up and pay for Disney Plus. Fair. But ours came with our um, phone bill, so that's why we have it for one year. <laughs> I don't know what we're gonna do later. 
Yeah, you know, it's so many like subscribing services now. It's like, which one do you choose? Exactly. And Netflix, I'm sorry. You're just, you lost friends. You're losing my loyalty. Really? Oh, so you didn't even watch Tiger King? Well, we still have Netflix, mostly because of The Office. Um, But no, I have not seen Tiger King. (laughs) It's good. It's real good. I mean, it's okay. It's good if you like a lot of murder and a lot of weird stuff. Well, I I think it's like going back to that generational thing. I don't have TikTok. I don't watch the Tiger King. I'm just an old woman watching Frozen 2. I don't know. (laughs) But, okay, so you're in the hospital. She's in the hospital for like two or three months. Yeah, two months. And so you have shifted from someone with... um, your own very serious mental health um, that you're dealing with, with an unplanned pregnancy, and now your focus in your life just goes entirely into keeping your daughter alive. Yeah. And so did you, like, stay in the hospital? What? Yeah, I think that's, like, a big part of it. Um, For me personally, I knew from the start, because, like, Oh, God. <laughs> so, I had never been a mom before, but my best friend's mom had passed away when she was 14. Oh, wow. And, unfortunately, for various reasons, her family wasn't able to take care of her at the time. And so, she ended up moving into my house, and I ended up homeschooling her and stuff like that. So, I had some pre-knowledge of, like, what it was like to be in a more parental role from that. Mm. And so going in, thankfully, I already knew that a big part of motherhood is you have to take time for yourself Mm. and that you have to take care of yourself in order to be able to take care of your kid. And so a lot of it was the next right thing. But I also made sure that I was going to therapy every week and like I was going twice a week for a while and I made sure that I was still trying to do a couple things that I loved every day and like trying to work on my relationship with Hugo and stuff like that so as much as it was like the next right thing I did also try and plan for what our life would look like in the future and so what were some of the practical ways you took care of yourself I think the number one was therapy because therapy is what taught me shout out to my therapist, Scott, I guess, but, um, therapy is what taught me how to take care of myself. Mm. Wow. So now that, how old is she now? She is one and a half. Okay. So now that she's one and a half, what does look life look like on a day to day for you? Um, so on a typical day, yeah, it's, Get up, change TPN, give her a feeding, hang out with her for two or three hours, do another feeding, couple hours, do TPN, couple hours, do a feeding. It's a lot of, like, medical processes. The reason, though, that I said it's hard to pin down is because we never know when we're going to get a call that we have to go to the hospital. Mm. And it can literally, like, happen at any time. So this uh, 
as you mentioned, like at the beginning, this took us like what a month to get together. Yeah. Uh, and part of that was, I mean, obviously there's COVID going on right now. Uh, but part of that was because we had to go to the hospital. And the way we found out about that was I was in the middle of Sam's and I was like trying to buy some stuff and I realized I'd missed a call on my phone and I call back and they're like, hey, your kid might be going into sepsis or liver failure. Please call me back. Oh, that's a voice message. You Whoa. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And sadly, I've gotten used to them. She's been to the hospital 16 times. Wow. But it's and it upends your whole life and you're just like well there went that schedule I wrote for the week um and then it immediately goes into medical mode mm. and you're just like get her to the hospital get her situated with the nurses see if my mom can come out and help us figure out scheduling make sure that I'm doing okay make sure that Hugo's doing okay now to another mom who might be struggling this even if she's like pregnant and finds out that her child has um, sort some sort of big medical concern or if she's in the midst of what you are with a coming on toddler who might be going to the hospital, what would you say to her? I think this is to just all moms in general. We are capable of so much more than we think we are. And the things that seem impossible now, a year from now, probably won't. We'll have a new impossible thing that we have to tackle, but it won't be the same thing that we did last year. And that always gave me a lot of peace of knowing, like, a year from now, I probably won't be thinking about this. I mean, I think that's just an incredible... You've amazed me time and again in this conversation with your mindset because sometimes I feel so um, lost in my way or like I'm failing my children or whatever it may be kind of, you know, bogged down by my situation, but just hearing your hope and hearing your tenacity for life, despite, you know, seeing your child hooked up to an IV or having to run to the hospital, um, after being at Sam's, you know, like it just, I really, really appreciate your perspective on life, Emma. Thank you. I'm like, okay. To be very clear, though, like, mom guilt is still a thing that I deal with, like, all the time. And it wasn't always this easy. Well, no, it's kind of a theme that you bring with you throughout your life. And I've struggled a little bit with this with the podcast. Like, I'm here telling people stories, telling people, like, motherhood is something worth pursuing. And then there are days where I just flop down at the end of the day and I'm like, I have no desire to be around children or be a mother I'm going to go find a way to get to the airport and leave. Like, and I'm like, hold it. But I'm doing this whole thing where I'm telling people motherhood is worth it. But even though, you know, there's those valleys and there's the mountains or whatever, that if you kind of have that narrative, that theme that you're bringing with you on your best days, even on your best moments of the best days, that's the straw that you can grasp onto. Like, in general, one of the main things you need to be as a mom is hope. I, I watched a video, and maybe I'll link to it in the show notes, but there's a mom sitting in her car, like, saying that you are enough as a mom. And even if it's the mac and cheese dinner, 
I mean, I don't know why we bash on mac and cheese so much. Mac and cheese, I mean, Kraft mac and cheese specifically is so good. Um, but the point is like the dinner that may not be the most nutritious and the television time that you may give your child or whatever, like you're doing enough. And as long as your child is safe and knows that they're loved, like you are doing the right thing. Um, and there's a lot of variation that people have in their lives and we just can't judge each other by that. Um, yeah, yeah, I completely agree. Cause I'm sorry. My laundry will never be done and my floor clean and my dishes clean at the same time. It just will not happen. That, that is a impossibility only shown on TV shows. I swear. Or some moms on Instagram, but God help you guys. Also, I actually, I'm, I bring that back. One clean room. Chances are they've got a closet stuffed full of something that they just aren't showing us. It's, it's like Monica on Friends. Um, <laughs> well, Emma, thank you so much for telling me your story. And thank you so much for sharing and being vulnerable with our listeners. I think so many people are going to be just really encouraged by what you had to say. It was so great to get to talk to Emma. Now, if you're parenting a child with a disability or a chronic illness, I just want to send a huge shout out to you. You're an incredible parent, and we just want to acknowledge how hard you work. If you're pregnant with a child and have been told that they might possibly have health issues, I hope Emma's story has encouraged you to know that the journey is difficult, but it will be well worth it. Okay, as always, I would encourage you to leave a review and rate this podcast. You can go follow us on Instagram or Facebook. You'll see pictures of our guests, connect with parenting resources, and of course, see pictures of my adorable children. And I can't wait to share another story with you next time.